The one that really messes me up when we lose an hour. Man, I almost die on that one. I, trying to catch up the rest for like a month. All right, Revelation chapter 7. We're going to pick back up where we were last, last Sunday. And I want to thank... Thank the guys for playing. I mean, the guys for playing the music and everything. Praising the Lord with the with the instruments. Man, we got a lot of good talent in this church. A lot of great talent. Like I said before, if you get you get a hankering to do something for the Lord, sing a special, whatever, you're more than welcome to do it. We'd love to love you love you for you to do that for us. The more specials, the better. That's the only thing I love to have more music in here. And uh, I come from a church down in Pensacola that they did. They had a marching band. It was all hymns. It's the hymns we just sang this morning, but it was a marching band. It had a, had a, a bass drum, like a marching bass drum, had a little snare drum, had uh, violins. Uh, it was just like a marching band, but it had violins and uh, trumpets, and, and it was crazy. When that thing went off, people, it was, it was, I've never been around anything else like it. I always have a dream of wanting to do that again, to have a, just a, a big band like that. Because, see, the problem with these hymns is that they're not playing them right. When you play the hymns right, they're marching hymns. Those are mar- the hymns are really they're really marching. They're, they're they're upbeat. They're at the cross, at the cross. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Most it's mostly Germans writing that stuff, so it's going to be marching, marching, marching. You know. So look at Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter seven. Revelation chapter seven. And after these things. What things? Well, these things that John had seen were the six seals being opened up. Jesus Christ comes out, gets a seven-seal seven book. He opens up six of those seals. And this uh, chapter 7 is going to be parenthetical. It's going to be just a little pause between chapter 6 and chapter 8. So chapter 7 pauses, and then when we get into chapter 8, that seventh seal will be opened up. But this chapter 7 is kind of a pause between there, and there's a lot of good stuff in here. But look at uh, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the, sev- having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God and their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Uh, Brother Collins, do you mind praying over this service, please, brother? Thank you. Yes. Yes. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. So in the book of Revelation, you have a telling of the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we, we read up through Revelation chapter 4. The church gets raptured out. After the church is raptured out, John's up in heaven, and you're seeing everything going on in heaven with God around the throne with the four beasts. And then after that, we see where that, that seal, like I said, the seal book was given to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He takes that seven seal book, and he starts opening up those seals, and then the four horsemen come out. And then he opens up, the, and there's a great earthquake. And we read all about that last week as we studied that. And now we're going in here where this, in, in chapter 6, you had six seals being opened. In chapter 7, you're going to have a seal being given. A seal is given here in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, you'll have that eighth seal, I mean, excuse me, that seventh seal opened up. But look, go back up to verse 1, and let's study this together and see what we can glean out of the chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. And after these things... I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. So when he says four corners of the earth, that's expression. That's just an expression of speech where you'd say uh, the, the Marines are going to the four corners of the earth. It doesn't mean the Bible's teaching that the earth is flat and it's sitting on like a checkerboard type of system. That's not what it's teaching because in Isaiah chapter 40, it, it says of God, it says he sits on the circle on the circle of the earth. So the Bible, way before Columbus sailed the seven seas, the Bible was telling us that the earth is a globe. It's hanging, it's suspended out in outer space. This Bible's way ahead of any kind of science we have going on today. I Trust me when I say that. You might not believe me, but you should trust me when I say that because the, the science is trying to catch up with this book right here. It always has been. And after these things, I saw four angels standing, <clears throat> excuse me, on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. So you have angels in control of the weather. And you'll find that all through the Bible. Uh, the angels are in control of the weather. And they control the weather. So when you're praying to the Lord, you're asking the Lord, Lord, you're doing this, send us rain, doing this. And what you're doing is you're wanting the Lord to send his angels that is controlling the rain, controlling the weather. The Lord has these angels doing that. And these angels, are, they're holding the four winds of the earth. So with, when those winds stop, bad things start happening. You always need the wind blowing on this earth. And when that wind stops... That's when bad things are happening. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. That's a, that's a creepy type of thing to happen there on the earth. If you're at this time in the tribulation period, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll go through this period. If you go through this period, you're going to see where the wind just stops. It's going to be really eerie. It's going to be really creepy. And that's not good for the earth that the wind's not blowing. Verse uh, 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. See, they're hurting the earth and the sea by not letting the wind blow. Saying, verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So what you have here is, God's about to put a seal in the foreheads of his servants, and it's 144,000 of them of the tribes of Israel. We'll talk about that. But he's going to put a seal in their foreheads. What does that sound like? If you know the book of Revelation, you know it sounds like the mark of the beast. It sounds like, well, that's what the devil does. The devil makes them take a seal, makes them take a mark on their foreheads. But see what you need to understand about uh, the devil. The devil's always out copying God. That's what the devil loves to do. He loves to mimic and to copy God. The Bible says about the devil, he comes as an angel. He appears as an angel 
of light. He wants to be the light, but Jesus Christ says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the true light. He wants to be a light. He wants to be a vine. Jesus Christ says, I'm the true vine. So if there's a true vine, there must be a false vine. If there's a true light in Jesus Christ, there must be a, a false light. When Jesus Christ says, I am the way, there must be a false way. The truth, there must be some, uh, uh, something that's given as truth that's not true. I am the life. There must be somebody who says they have life, but they don't have life. That's the devil. He mimics God in every way. You know the devil has his churches? And I'm not talking about the satanic movement. The devil has his churches. The Bible says the devil has his ministers. He has his ministers. He has his preachers. He has his apostles. He has his disciples. The devil has all of that. The devil loves to get worship. That's what he wants. He wants to be like the Most High God. He wants to be worshipped by men. And that's why he's mimicking God there with his mark he puts on man. But God, before all this, God is putting his mark, his seal on these servants. So we know in Ecclesiastes that Solomon tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Under the sun. Look at Ezekiel chapter 9. This has took place before, this exact same thing. If you're with me, turn to Ezekiel chapter 9. So this is nothing new in the Bible. This has happened before. And it's something we need to read about. So this seal that God puts, God puts it on these 144,000, and we're, we're going to read who those are. But before we do that, let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 9 and look at this. Ezekiel chapter 9 and look at this, because God has done this before. You know, we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights, and we've already went through this verse, but in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says a great truth. He says, the thing that hath, the thing that hath been... It is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. So if you want to find out how God's going to do something in the book of Revelation, you can go through the Old Testament and you can see how God works and how God's character. God doesn't change. He doesn't change as much as the world wants Him to change. The world wants God to get, to get wicked like they are. The, the world wants our God to, con, to, uh, to condone sin like the world's condoning sin. God hasn't changed. The world's changed. And the world wants God to change. They want Christians to change. And we're still standing on this old book, and I'm going to keep on standing on this old book, and I'm going to keep on standing on the truth and the holiness of this old book, and the world can just go on to hell. I don't care. It don't matter to me what the world does. I'm going to stand on this book right here. Look at, look at Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1. Through my glasses. Getting excited, getting all stirred up. It's easy to get stirred up in this world we're living in. Verse 1, he cried also in mine ears. Now, Ezekiel is seeing God's judgment on Israel. Israel was a wicked nation. They were a wicked people. And God had, had just about enough of it. And he's telling Ezekiel, this is what I want to do. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. So God calls his angels that have charge over the city. Do you know God not only has angels over the weather, God has angels over the cities? In my heart of hearts, I believe that God has an angel over this, this church right here. We've seen in Revelation where God has angels over the churches. Over Every church has its own angel. Every city has its own angel. And just like the, the devil has his demon he set up, his demon set up to try to run things in the city. God has his angel. We see in Daniel where the angels and the demons were fighting each other. This is all through the Bible. There's a spiritual warfare going on that my eyes and your eyes can't see. And we forget that. 
We turn on the TV and we see something really wicked happening and we're, we're sitting back and we're saying, man, why would somebody ever do that? Why would somebody think that way? Well, there's a spiritualness behind it. There's a spirit of antichrist. There's a spirit of the devil that's in people running this world. That's what's going on. We kind of forget, this, we kind of forget about that. So God calls the angels and says, hey, y'all come over here. And verse 2, and, six, and behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate. Those six men, see how the angels they appear as men all through the Bible. They, don't, they just look like regular men, which lie toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand, and one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So this guy has a pen, he has his inkhorn, and he's the one that's going to seal these people. This one angel has, a, has this like little, it's like a bottle, has ink in it, and he's got the little quill there. Look at verse 3. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So there's still some men in this city that was crying to God because they could see how Israel was acting. They could see all the sin and it bothered them. Does it bother you this morning to live in America with the sin you see? See, God, God recognizes that. God recognizes your sign. God recognizes your, your heartache. God recognizes that it bothers you. You cry unto God like, Lord God, this, this sin, the way the world's going, it bothers you. And he says, if you have somebody who's sighing and crying, he goes, I want you to pour a, put a mark on their forehead. Notice this mark is a mark that you can't see. It's not a physical mark. It's a spiritual mark that other angels can see. Don't you know that the Lord God has sealed us? The Bible says He sealed us and that the devil can look in this room and know who... Every, the devil knows everybody who belongs to God in this room. And the devil knows who doesn't. And the devil knows when he sees that mark, that that mark on me tells him that that belonged to God. And he set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others, verse 5, to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city... And smite, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. Become not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient, at the ancient men which were before the house. See, it's verses like that that make atheists hate the Bible. And I understand when somebody, doesn't, when somebody doesn't have a spiritual mindset and they read through the Old Testament and they read through what's going on in the book of Revelation, you see where all these the men and women are being killed and God's actually killing them. There's no way around this, brothers and sisters. When you read this, that's God talking. That's God sending his angels. That's God sick of what's going on. He says, I want you to slay, verse 6, the old, the young, and then he says the little children. And I can understand how... People get distraught with God. And don't, with a spirit, without a spiritual mindset, you can see that. That's a horrible thing. It is a horrible thing. But the truth is that when a child is living in a country as wicked as that country that he was living in, with a spiritual mindset, isn't it better? That, sometimes it's better for them to go, on and be, go, home, go home to be in heaven with the Heavenly Father than to be in this wicked world. It's getting to the point that the world we're living in we look at things in a physical mindset. Well, oh, the worst thing that happened to you is, you go, is to die and go on to the Lord. Listen to me. I think sometimes maybe that's the best thing that happened to you. They're a lot better off. 
We got loved ones in this church that have gone on, that passed on and go with the Lord, and we, we, we cried over it. It's like, man, it's a shame. They went home early. They went home early. They, you know, no, it's not a shame. It's actually, they got, they got lucky. And that's the way it is. When the Lord gets so sick of it, it's better for them to be up there, those little children to be up there with him, than them to be living that wicked, wicked society that they were living in. That's why he's doing that. And, and, and let me tell you another, and another answer to that. And this is an answer that nobody likes to hear, but this is the, the real answer. Who's doing this? It's the Lord God. He created the little children. He created the men and the women and the young and the old. He created everybody in this room. He can do what he wants to to you. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to open your eyes to say, who should I be worshiping? Who should I be afraid of? You should be afraid of the Lord God. You should be giving all the praise and glory to him. You shouldn't be worrying about what the government's doing. You should be more worried about what the Lord God is doing. Am I making you happy? Am I breaking your laws? You should be worried about the laws of the Lord before you worry about the laws of this land. Because he's the one that you're going to have to answer to. Remember what Jesus Christ said? He said, don't be afraid of somebody who can kill you and throw you in a grave and that's all they can do to you. He said, be afraid of him, talking about the Lord God, him that can, can kill your body and then destroy your soul, throw your soul into a devil's hell. That's who you should be afraid of. That, that's an eye-opening thing. So the Lord God, he set a mark so they would, so the men, uh, so uh, it says, but in the middle of verse 6, and I'm, I'm saying all this, I'm pointing this out to you to show, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. So he was marking these men that were sighing, crying, the righteous of Israel. He was marking them, and everybody else, he had the angels go out to tr and start destroying them. Notice, any, don't come near the men. That would include his, the man's family, his wife, and his kids. It's, a, it's something that we need to remember as Christians that the man needs to, be, needs to be running the household in the sense of a spiritual household. That we're going to have to answer to God. Now the world, has, the world, the world is, is, isn't the world we're living in, America we're living in, they don't see it that way. But God has a definite order. He's got man here. He's got, he's got husband as the head of the wife, and the wife is to help the husband. God's got all that in line. And us husbands in here, we're going to have to answer to God. We will answer to God. If we're bringing our family to church, how are we doing? We're going to have to answer to God. And here's a man that if you had that mark, the angels wouldn't come near you. That would include your family. That includes your wife. Uh, that's, just, that's just what way it is, like it or lump it. Verse 7, he said unto them, defile the, house, and defile the house and fill the course with the slain, go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. And then if you want to read more about that, Ezekiel starts crying out for, to God about Israel, trying to be a mediator between Israel and God because God is slaying all the wickedness going on in Israel. If God, God's chosen people, he felt that way about that nation of Israel. How does God feel about America? Makes you wonder how God feels about America. All right, back in Revelation chapter 7. This is a hard... <laughs> I knew, I was kind of worried about this chapter coming up because I knew this was going to be hard. But Revelation chapter 7, I knew this wasn't going to go over very well, but it's just the way God does things. And when, he get, when God gets sick of something, He gets sick of it, and, you know, God forbid the wrath of God come down. You don't want no part of that. That's why it's so important to get saved, get... get uh, Get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get saved so when that time comes, he'll rapture us out and we won't have to deal with the wrath of God. Because that's, that's what we're reading about here in Revelation chapter 7 is the day of his wrath. God's had enough of it. God's long-suffering is merciful. 
He's kind, he's generous, he's gracious, but God gets enough of something, and then the fury of God comes down, the wrath of God, and you see what he does. He starts killing people, but he has certain people, he'll seal their foreheads so they won't have to answer to it. And that's what he's doing back here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand, and of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, a Jehovah's Witness, they read that, this is their famous thing. A Jehovah's Witness reads this. Uh, the, the creators and the founders of the Jehovah's Witness movement, they read this and they said, okay, that's us. They said, that's us. We are the 144,000. And they started grabbing their group and they started growing. And they grew and they grew. And he said, when we get to 144,000 followers, then God's going to come back, take us out, and that'll be the end of the world. Well, that was way back in the late 1800s. Well, guess what? The Jehovah's Witness movement, it grew and it grew and it grew and it got over 144,000. And guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Christ didn't come back. Well, then they had to come up with a new plan. So they said, okay, well, uh, the 144,000, they get to go to heaven. The rest of y'all get to stay here on earth and y'all be called the other sheep. That's why if you've ever dealt with or talked to a Jehovah's Witness, they talk about paradise on earth and paradise on... They're talking about what we would call the millennial kingdom. They refer to that as heaven on earth. And that's where people will go. If you die and you're right with God, then he will resurrect you and you get to live on earth. But if you die and you're not right with God, that's it. That's it. You know, there's no hell. You're just laying in a grave. That's, and that's what they teach. Well, you see there in verse 4, the problem with this is... It doesn't say anything about 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. It says of the tribes of the children of Israel... And I've met a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. I've had a friend or two that was a Jehovah's Witness, and I've never met one of them that was of the tribe of Israel. Just believe the book. <laughs> They've got to change the book. They've got to change the book to teach what they wanted to teach. Just believe the book, and it'll get rid of a lot of nonsense that doesn't make any sense. And it even goes on to describe all of the tribes. Look at verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. So there's going to be 12,000 tribes times 12,000, that's where you get the 144,000. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nethium were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Okay, let's stop there. If you know your list of the, of the 12 brothers and the 12 tribes, Levi was never a tribe. They were separate from the 12 tribes because they were the priesthood. They're the ones that did the office of the temple. So you automatically know something's going on here when they list Levi as a tribe of one of the 12. And one that's missing is Dan. So it's obvious when you look at this list that the tribe of Dan has been kicked out by God and he's inserted the tribe of Levi. What does that tell you in here? There is no priesthood. The only priesthood is the believer and our high priest, Jesus Christ. All that priesthood you read about in Old Testament and the, uh, under the law, all that was done away with. And now there's a New Testament in the blood of Jesus Christ where he is our high priest and we are the priesthood of God the Father. Everybody in this room that's a born-again believer is a priest of God. You don't, there's no priesthood. So the Roman Catholic system of setting up priests and bishops and cardinals, that's not biblical. That doesn't go, that has a job with God. You have, there's no priest. You don't have to go to a priest to see if your sins are forgiven. You go to God the Father through Jesus Christ. He's your high priest. That's how you have your sins forgiven. 
You don't come down here to me to have your sins forgiven. You can get down on your knees and pray to God the Father, and He'll hear you and forgive you your sins right there. Praise God. You don't need me. You don't need anybody else. You can do it wherever you're at. You don't have to be in a church to have your sins forgiven. Amen. You can be on a tractor. You can be in a car. You can be in a bar. I don't know where you're at, but you can pray and ask God to forgive you your sins, and He will forgive you of your sins. That's the kind of God we serve. But He kicked Dan out and inserted the tribe of Levi. Now remember about Dan. Dan was called a serpent back in Genesis 49. He was called a lion from the leaping from Bashan, and there's nothing good that comes from the area of Bashan. Remember in Judges 17, Dan is the tribe that got a man to be a priest who they called Father, and they started worshiping idols and images. Sounds a lot like the Roman Catholic Church. That's what Dan was doing. That's what, that's what got Dan kicked out. Let's keep, continue reading. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Okay, let's stop there. Joseph had been kicked out before, not kicked out in the sense that he was kicked out for doing anything bad, but Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, took his place. So in, uh, in Genesis, those two, Manasseh and Ephraim, took his place. So Joseph has taken the place of Ephraim, his son. At the end of verse 6, it already lists Manasseh. So Manasseh gets to stay in there, but Joseph's other son, Ephraim, he gets kicked out. And Joseph, the father, takes his place in this list of tribes. Why is that interesting? That's interesting because the whole book of Hosea, the whole book of Hosea describes to you why God kicked out Ephraim. If you ever want to read it. And one of the good th or interesting things about the book of, uh, of Hosea is in Hosea chapter 7, verse 8. Let me tell you this before I read you this verse. The Mormons, Jesus, the, the saints, what, how do they call themselves? The saints, Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. Or the, well, we call, I call them Mormons. They don't like being called Mormons anymore. The Mormons, they claim they're of the lost tribe of Israel. And they claim they, most of them claim they come from Ephraim. They're the lost tribe of Israel. Because there's, there's this belief in the Bible that God, that the tribes got lost and they got scattered. But I'm here to tell you, you're seeing here in Revelation chapter 7, God knows where they're all at. <laughs> He's got them all, He knows where they're at. They're not lost. They never were lost. But they claim they came over to the Americas, the Mormons teach in the Book of Mormon, that they came over to America before Columbus and they set up and they had this long history of the tribe of Ephraim and a little bit of the tribe of Manasseh and them working together. And that's where, it, that's where they, the Mormons come from, from that tribe. That's where the tribes of Israel, the lost tribes of Israel went. They went over here to America. That's all hogwash. Number one, they've never find, found any archaeological evidence to support that claim. Not, not any, not one bit of it. Whereas in your Bible, those, when you, Sodom and Gomorrah, they found Sodom and Gomorrah. They found, they found all kinds, the archaeological evidence supports the Bible. Even the atheists will tell you that. Nothing supports the Book of Mormon. There's no archaeological evidence that supports the Book of Mormon. Number two, God kicked out the, the tribe of Ephraim. And if you read Hosea, it's real plain. And what's interesting in Hosea chapter 7, he says of Ephraim, he says, Ephraim, he says, leave him alone. Ephraim hath, he hath mixed himself among the people. It says, Ephraim is a cake not been turned. A cake not turned. What does that say? He's saying that Ephraim's half-baked. 
So anytime you run to a Mormon and they're harassing you or telling you this, that, and other, saying, you know what God says? You're from the tribe of Ephraim? Yeah, well, he says you're half-baked. See how that goes. Now, I would do something like that. I know none of y'all in here would do that, but that's what God says about Ephraim. He's half-baked. He's been kicked out. Joseph took his place. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. So there's your 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. God puts a seal on them. Turn to Revelation chapter 14. We'll, I'll show you a little bit more on this tribe. And then we'll we've got to get going. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. And I'll, I, when we get to Revelation 14, I'll explain this more because there's, there's a lot goes into this. But I just want to show you this. Here's that 144,000 again that we're reading about. Revelation 14, 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That's that seal we're reading about that we read back in Revelation 7. Now skip down to verse 4 for time's sake. These are they, talking about the 144,000 that we're reading about, which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They're they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And I'll explain that verse when we get to it, but I want to point out in verse 4, that these are, these are men, these 144,000 are men that have never been with women, they're virgins, and, that, and God seals them up. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 7. Very unique. So these are Jews of the tribe of Israel, and there's 144,000 of them, and God has, God has come down with His angel and He's sealed up their head. They're going to be evangelists. They're going to be preachers. They're going to preach the kingdom message that Jesus Christ is about to come back and set up His kingdom. That's what they're sent out for, 144,000 of them. Look at verse 9. And after this I beheld, this is Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and crowd, cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and upon the Lamb. And unto the Lamb, and all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God. So they're all praising God, and the, so the 24 elders, and the beasts, and all the angels, they fall down, prostrate before the throne of God, and they give Him a sevenfold uh, worship. They worship Him seven ways. Look at verse 12. First they say, Amen. That means so be it. Blessing. God deserves all the blessings. And glory, God deserves all the glory. And wisdom, all wisdom comes from God. And thanksgiving, God deserves all the thanksgiving. And honor, God deserves all the honor. And power, God has all the power. And might, God has all the might. Be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. See, they, they, they bracket it with those amens, but they give them a sevenfold blessing. That's a complete blessing to our Lord God. They're bowing down, they're praising Him. That's what's going to go. There's going to be a lot of that going on in heaven. A lot of singing, a lot of shouting, a lot of praising. We're going to have the ten-string instruments. We're going to have the, the psalteries. We're going to have some drums. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of shouting and, and, and praising God. If you don't like loud shouting, don't go to heaven because there's going to be a lot of that going on up there. Verse 13. And one of the elder, elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? So one of the elders comes up to John and says, Who are these people? Because I just described them to you, just read them to you, that they were clothed in white robes. And John said, and he said, where did they come from? This elder asked John, who are these people, where did they come from? Verse 14, and I said unto him, John said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. John, this isn't Christians here. 
in a, in a sense that we think of as Christians. These aren't, this isn't church-age saints that we're seeing here in verses 9, 10, and 11. These aren't church-age saints. It appears they might be, but they're not. And if you, the more you read it, you'll realize that's why he's asking John, who are these? See, John would know if it was a church. The church already been raptured out, Revelation 4. So he's saying, who are these and where they come from? And John basically says, I don't know, but you know. And he tells him, he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. So these are great tribulation saints. These are men and women that got saved during the tribulation period. They weren't saved when the rapture happens. The rapture happens, rapture happens, the church gets raptured out. The men and women that are left, that's when they start going through that hell on earth. And some people are getting saved down here. Now this, is a dip, this salvation they're getting here is Jesus plus the commandments. There's some works involved, and I'll show you that as we go through the book of Revelation. Guys, y'all got it made. Because all you have to do is take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to run if you don't know Jesus Christ now. And we get raptured out here, and the Antichrist rises up. There's going to come a time if you want Jesus Christ, you can't take the mark of the beast. You're going to have to run for your life. You're going to have to do some works. You're going to have to keep yourself clean. These are they. That these are they which came out of great tribulation. They're not church saints. They're tribulation saints saved and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, that blood of the Lamb is pretty important, isn't it? But notice it says they take their robes and they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Christian, look at Revelation chapter 1. Remember this. Go with me. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Remember this, Christian. Because you might have forgotten it. I want to show it to you. These are they that have took their robes and washed them in the blood. And that robe represents righteousness. And they've made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Guys, look at verse 5. Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that, look, loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. These tribulation saints have their robes washed. Brothers and sisters, you yourselves are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That separates you out from them. Back in Revelation chapter 7, back in Revelation chapter... These are two different types of people. We're going to see us again later on in Revelation. We're going to see, we're going to see us again later on in Revelation. See, we'll see us up there praising God. Look at verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple... And he, shall, he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. So there's a heavenly temple according to verse 15. So look at verse 16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. So these, these saints, these tribulation saints, it says they're not going to hunger anymore. Not, why are they hungry and thirsty? They're hungry and thirsty because they couldn't eat or drink without the mark of the beast. They wouldn't take the mark of the beast, so they were running. They, got, they were getting hungry. They were looking for water. They were looking for food. A lot of them probably starved to death. Some of them had their heads cut off. However, they died in the tribulation period. That's why it says, verse 16, they shall hunger no more because they wouldn't take the mark, so they had no way to buy or sell. They shall hunger no more, neither shall thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them. Nor any heat. What's the big deal about the sun lighting on them? Well, we're going to read about, we're going to read later on in the book of Revelation, Revelation 16, that the sun is about seven times hotter than it is right now. And it's going to scorch the earth. And it's going to just dry this place out. It's going to scorch this earth during the tribulation period. So they're no, they don't have to worry about the sun anymore, being hungry or being thirsty. 
They got out. And we'll talk about how they got up here in heaven in Revelation 14. Now remember, and I want to point out before we close this up, that just like there's four gospel accounts of the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there's four accounts of the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to go through the seven seals, and then it's going to stop. And then we'll go back and go through the seven uh, trumpets, and then it's going to stop. And then we're going to go back and retell it again. It's going to go through seven personages, and it's going to kind of focus on the Antichrist. And then it's going to stop and start over. And then we'll have the seven vials. It's going to go through four different tellings of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give you four tellings of the life of Jesus Christ and the first coming. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. And we're kind of coming to the end of the first telling of our Lord and Savior coming back. That's why you're seeing these men and women up in heaven praising God and the 144,000. Look at verse 17 in closing. For the Lamb, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. Praise God. And God, look what God does. This is our God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I, I'm going to give you my testimony. I've shed, shed a whole lot more tears of emotional pain than I ever had physical pain. And I'm not saying I haven't been in some physical pain, but when, I, when you start counting up my tears, I've shed a whole lot more tears with being brokenhearted and just stuff happening in my life. And there's going to come a time, brothers and sisters, we won't have to be shedding no more tears. There won't, be no more, there won't be no more separation of our loved ones. There won't be no more of, our, of people we love dying. There won't be no more hungering and thirsting and, and, and the sin that we're dealing with. I know I've cried over a lot of sin. There won't be no more crying over sin. We'll be sinless. We'll be white. We'll be pure. We'll be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But I love about verse 17 is this. It says, He shall lead them unto living fountains of water. I'm going to read you what our Lord and Savior said in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, there was a great feast, and Jesus Christ showed up that feast, and this is what he said. In the last day, that great day of the feast, this is John chapter 7, verse 37. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. How does stuff flow out of your, your belly? It flows out of your mouth. It's through your words. But this spake he of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him shall receive, for the Holy Ghost has, was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Those living waters that all of us in here have that are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. But there's an invitation here. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior this morning, I might have been, not been doing a good job of presenting Revelation 7, but let me present this to you. Let me present the man, Jesus Christ. I'm not presenting to you a philosophy. I'm not presenting to you an idea. I'm not presenting to you Indian Gap Baptist Church. What I'm going to present to you is the man, the living man, Jesus Christ. And this living man, Jesus Christ, who died and is resurrected and could, could be in this very room this morning, that man, Jesus Christ, he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, or you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, you might be thirsty. You might be thirsty. I had to run and get some water because I get thirsty. And you might be thirsty. Jesus Christ will quench that thirst. Amen. It's a spiritual quenching. And once you take Jesus Christ, everything else will be sewer water. Nothing else will matter. 
I, before I took Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I dabbled in the occult. I dabbled in Satanism. I was dabbling in different uh, Eastern religions. I was looking at all that. And then when I took Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I took all that stuff and threw it out because I got the good stuff now. And there's nothing ever can compare to Jesus Christ. If any man thirsts, look, let him come unto me. But see, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force this water on you. He's not going to force himself on you. You've got to come unto him and say, Lord, can I have some of that water? You've got to ask him. I love my Lord and Savior that way. I love it that he doesn't force us into loving him. I love it that he gives us a free will. I love it that he says, hey, you come unto me. If you're thirsty, come unto me. And he says, and drink. He adds in that last, why, why do you say that? Of course if you're thirsty. Of course if you're thirsty. Of course if you go to Jesus Christ, you're going to drink. Not everybody does. Some people know of Jesus Christ. Some people recognize Jesus Christ, who he is. But when they come to him, they won't take that last step and take a drink. What's the saying? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. They might come to church. They might read the Bible. They might hang around other Christians. But they won't take that last step and say, I'm going to put my faith, he that believeth on me, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ and take that drink. It's there for you. Look at Revelation 22 in closing. Revelation 22. Oh, yes. Revelation 22, 16. Beautiful, beautiful. I've got one more other thing I want to show you about these living waters. Jesus Christ said, I'll give you those living waters. They're available to you this morning. Christian, are you in here and you don't feel like you got the living waters? Pray for it. Say, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord God. Please, I'm one of yours. Please, I've come to drink, Lord. I'm taking a long, tall drink, Lord. Work through me. Work out of me. But look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And that's what I'm doing to you this morning. I'm testifying to you in a church at Indian Gap Baptist Church in 2022. I'm trying to testify to you. I am the root. Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Amen. He is all those things. But notice... The very next verse. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's the church, that's everybody in here that's saved, say, come. Come on. You ever go swimming? You just go, like, as a family, we go out to the lake and go swimming. And my sister would meet me in the water, and my, sister, my little sister would be out there, and she'd say, come on in, Keegan, the water feels good, come on. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Hey, I'm already in Jesus Christ. I've got, the, I've got the joy, I've got the happiness, I've got the peace. Come on, it's good, come on. And that's what the verse is saying there. And the spirit and the pride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. Come on. You got an invitation? Here's the very best news of this invitation. It's found in this very verse. And whosoever will. It's an open invitation. See how beautiful your Bible is? See, if they would have put in that Bible, Keegan Hall will come. You know what I would do when I read that? I wouldn't say, hey, that's my name in there. I would say, they must be talking about another Keegan Hall. Because I'm too wicked. He wouldn't invite me. There's no way. But God doesn't do that. He says, whosoever will.
That includes everybody under the sound of my voice. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, where you're going. Whosoever will, look at the, how beautiful this is. Let him take the water of life. The best word in the English language, freely. It's free. Nobody's going to hit you up for a buck. You came in here this morning. Nobody passed the offering plate in front of you. Listen, God wants it free. It's always been free, and it's always going to be free. So you have no excuse. You, all those preachers, they want my money. All God wants is my money. All God, God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your pocket. But God wants your soul. And he wants to save you. And he wants you to be up in heaven. Why does he want me up in heaven? Because he's a good father. You know what he wants to do? You know what every good father wants to do? He wants to wipe away all your tears. If you're like me and you've lived a pretty rough life and I have a pretty rough background, I've shed a lot of tears. God's wiped away a lot of my tears. I'm waiting for the day that I can get up there and just go, <sighs> I don't have to keep fighting this flesh. I don't have to worry about sin. I don't have to worry about dying. I don't have to worry about paying taxes. I don't have to worry about elections. I don't have to worry about the price of gas. I don't have to worry about my house falling in. I'm not <sighs> Praise God. He's there to wipe away my tears. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.